Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Manifesting God podcast. And again, I am your host, Marie Elizabeth. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Let's see. I believe on last week we left off with practicing over purpose. I want to go back over those scriptures because we're going to continue what we've been speaking about. Philippians 3, the amplified version, and I'm reviewing here, it says, but whatever former things were gained to me as I thought then, these things, once regarded as advancement in merit, I have come to consider as a loss, absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life. But verse 8 says, but more than that. I count everything as lost compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy that is un equaled, it says in the Amplified Version. Continuing in verse 8, it says, For his sake I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ. Verse 9 says, And may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness, that genuine righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10 says, and this, so that I may know him, so that I may know him, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, that I might share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his life likeness even to his death, dying as he did. In verse 11 says, so that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. Now, I'm reviewing again, Acts 17, 28, the Amplified Bible. Verse 24, it says, the God who created the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man, he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so they would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28 says, for in him we live and we move and exist. That is, in him, we actually have our being, the Amplified Version says, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. And then finally, Isaiah 55, 10 to 11, it says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Verse 11 says, so 
will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. On last week, I talked about practice over purpose. I talked about understanding the power and effectiveness of God's words, as mentioned in the Bible, considering the significance of aligning oneself with God's word and allowing it to guide one's life. Also, staying attuned to God's promises and incorporating what God teaches through the scriptures and what Jesus Christ in his bodily form on earth has taught as a way of strengthening the faith of the believer and knowing the power of God's words already within its purposes, fully intentional, success, and Fulfillment and finally understanding the impact of the word as believers one is submitted submitting to and how to and how critical it is in discerning whether it aligns those words that are spoken over us, discerning whether those words align with the intent and the purpose of God's words. And I'm gonna go even further back. Remember the week prior to that. I talked about or came from the topic, it's time to build. Where in 2 Chronicles um, and 2 King, no, 2 Chronicles 2, I'm sorry, King Solomon was positioned to build a temple for the Lord. We read how he gathered the materials, those that he gathered fresh and that which he inherited from his father. And also he selected skilled workers and he crafted the temple in this most intricate details. And then finally, he had a vision for the temple that he was building, which was simply to honor God's name. It was a place where God's name, God's name would be honored and revered, uh, reverend. Uh, Solomon, um, he reminded them of the sanctity of the temple as a holy place dedicated to worship God and in observance of his commandment. He also talked about prepared offerings and sacrifices. This is what he was building the temple for. Solomon committed to meticulous planning and preparation and reference that was required in building the house of God. He brought clarity to the importance of honoring God's words through the dedication of your resources, your skills, and in devotion in order to construct and maintain a sacred dwelling place for worship and spiritual communion. You see, one cannot effectively build when you're still in practice. When building on God's word, we see from as Isaiah 55, 11, that it has to be on purpose. It absolutely must be on purpose. This was the case for rebuilding the temple of God in the Bible, rebuilding the temple of God in the Bible, rebuilding the temple in the context of the Old Testament, specifically refers to the construction of the first and second temples in Jerusalem. The construction of the second temple was authorized by King Cyrus of Persia, and it was subsequently completed under the leadership of Zerubbabel with the support of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. 
The scripture does account um, Zerubbabel's role in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, and it can be found in various verses um, throughout the books of Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah in the Old Testament. Although there's no single specific scripture that explicitly mentions Zerubbabel and Ezra and Haggai working together to rebuild the temple, the scriptures collectively provide insight into their contributions. Um, such a place, Ezra 3, 8 and 13, where it talks about the work of Jeshua and Zerubbabel and the others in laying the foundation of the temple and celebrating the initial stages of construction with praise and thanksgiving. Let's look at Ezra. Let's look at Ezra 8, 13 in the message version. And then I'll tell you where I'm going today. We're continuing. I'm telling you uh, Ezra 3, 8 to 13. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the temple of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and Jeshua, son of Josadak, in company with their brother, priests and Levites, and everyone else who came back to Jerusalem from captivity got started. They appointed the Levites 20 years of age and older to direct the rebuilding of the temple of God. Jeshua and his family joined Kadmiel, Benui, and Hadaviah, along with the extended family of Hinnadad, all the Levites, to direct the work crew on the temple of God. When the workers laid the foundation of the temple of God, I'm continuing in the scriptures in the message version, the priest and in their robes stood up with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asap with the cymbals to praise God in the tradition of David, king of Israel. They sang praise and thanksgiving to God. Yes, God is good is what they say. Oh, yes, he'll never quit loving Israel. All the people boomed out hurrahs, praising God as the foundation of the temple of God was laid. As many were noisily shouting with joy, many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple, when they saw the foundations of the second temple, it says, uh, laid, they wept loudly for joy. People couldn't distinguish between the shouting from the weeping or the sound of their voices, which reverberated for miles around. I want to talk to you today about repetition versus intent. Repetition versus intent. Repetition is defined as the act of repeating something that has already been said or written or done. In Hebrew, it means to rehearse. In Hebrew, it means to rehearse. Intent, that means to uh, resolve or be determined to do something. In Hebrew, it means to concentrate, to centralize, or to focus on. That's repetition versus intent. That's what we're talking about today. So let's pause here and dive into laying a foundation by starting with the significance of a leader who actually did it. I want to talk to you about three things. Three things. The affirmed foundation, the unbroken connection, and building with the eternal foundation. Again, we're talking about repetition versus intent. 
are we repeating something that has already been done or are we concentrated, centralized and focused and determined to do what needs to be done? We're talking about it in the context of these three things, the affirmative foundation, the unbroken connection and building with the eternal foundation. Okay, let's start with the affirmed foundation. Let's talk about Zerubbabel, who was a prominent figure in the Old Testament and a leader during the early post-Astilic period. He was the governor of the Persian province of Judah and was instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. Zerubbabel was a descendant of the royal line of David. Don't forget that. He was a descendant of the royal line of David, specifically from the tribe of Judah. He played a crucial role in leading the first group of Jewish exiles back from Jerusalem following the decree of Cyrus the Great, which allowed the Jewish people to return to their homeland and to rebuild the temple. His leadership and dedication were instrumental in reconstructing the temple. Despite all of the challenges and the opposition that they faced during rebuilding the temple, he still pursued to finish and stay on task. Okay, he pursued to finish and stay on task. He was focused. He was focused. His lineage, his lineage, I want us to note this. It is extremely important because in re, he's in relation to the Messianic. Am I saying, honey, am I saying that right? Messianic, M E S S I A N I C, lineage of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. His royal lineage, it can be traced back all the way to King David. Come on, stay with me. I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm going somewhere. His lineage can be traced back to King David through the line of King Solomon, as recorded in the Old Testament. Specifically, he is listed in the genealogies of both books, uh, First Chronicles and the Gospel of Matthew, highlighting his ancestral connection to the royal lineage of David. According to First Chronicles, 3 and 19, he is identified as the son of Shatiel, who was a descendant of King David through the line of Solomon. I think I said that. Additionally, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Zerubbabel is mentioned as a descendant of David and part of the genealogical line leading to the birth of Jesus Christ. This is important. This connection to the royal line of David holds a significant importance to biblical history. Biblical history and the fulfillment of the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah. So we want to be very clear, very clear that Zerubbabel comes from an affirmed foundation. And a firm foundation. His lineage chases us all the way back, or all the way up to, I should say, the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now I want to talk to you, and I'm going to tie everything together, about the unbroken connection, right? So we're talking about, remember, we're talking about repetition versus intent. I just gave you a brief synopsis of the affirmed foundation, telling you where Zerubbabel 
comes from telling you of his lineage that leads right to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now I want to move to the unbroken connection. Considering Zerubbabel's lineage, that of David, and specifically being a part of the genealogical line leading to the birth of Jesus Christ, let's look at, uh, let's see, John 1. In the King James Version, it says, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The opening verses of John 1 introduces the concept of the word as a divine pre-existing entity that existed before creation and through which all things were made. Specifically, John 1.1 states the word, the word. In this context, it refers to the divine, eternal, and incarnate essence of Jesus Christ, who is identified as the manifestation of God's creative and redemptive power in human form. The term word, that's Greek for logos. It signifies the divine wisdom, purpose, and self-expression of God through which all things came into being. It represents the divine communication of God's will and plan culminating in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The concept of the word in the gospel of John, it emphasizes the inseparable connection between God and Jesus Christ. So now let's tie it back to Isaiah 55:11 where God says, "So will my word be which goeth out of my mouth, it will not return to me void, useless or without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it." The concept of God's word as emphasized in Isaiah 55, 11, it highlights the effectiveness of God's communication and promises, underscoring the ability to bring about significant and on-purpose outcomes. On-purpose outcomes. Okay? So the concept of God's word, of his word, of his word. And remember, his word, it emphasizes the inseparable connection be him between God and Jesus Christ. It's, it, 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 we are talking about the effectiveness of that communication and the promises. It's about the ability to bring about an outcome on purpose. On purpose. It's a connection. It's a con- the connection between God and between Jesus Christ, it's a connection that does not break. It cannot break. It cannot break. And because it cannot break, this divine, eternal, and incarnate essence of Jesus Christ, it's the, Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God's creative and redemptive power in human form. In human form. So it's important that we understand that God's communication and his promises, his communication and his promises, his words, you know, that ones that are significant and purposeful, they are Jesus Christ. They are Jesus Christ. 
So let's move to building with an eternal foundation. Let's get to that. In the context of Zerubbabel rebuilding now the foundation of the temple of God's word and then the effectiveness of his word, that concept can be understood as divine authorization. His work in rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the foundation of temple, of the temple, that can be seen as an act authorized by God's word, authorized by God's purpose, authorized by his word of promise and restoration, authorized by his covenant. It can also be seen as divine guidance and support, the success of God's word. Finally, it can be seen as the fulfillment of prophecy, the restoration of the temple, and the renewal of the spiritual life. See, the correlation between God's word and Zerubbabel's rebuilding of the temple's foundation, it signifies the inseparable connection between divine communication and human action in fulfilling God's purposes. God's word brings about a type of collaboration between himself and those who believe on him. That's for us. But even more so, I want you to see the word as referred to that goes out of his mouth out of the mouth of God and accomplishes specifically what he tells it to accomplish and he and it never returns to him empty-handed the word at the foundation of Zerubbabel's leadership the word that's at the foundation of his ability to rebuild the foundation of the temple and the word that should be of the foundation of any leader that is building the word that is divine eternal, that is incarnate. It is the essence of Jesus Christ. It Jesus Christ, who is identified as the manifestation of God's creative and redemptive power in human form. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the manifestation of God's words. He is now and has always been. He never returns to God empty-handed. He was the foundation of Zerubbabel's building and should be the foundation of our rebuilding. Should be the foundation of our rebuilding. He is that eternal foundation. He is that unbroken connection. He is that affirmed foundation. So when we think of building uh, in the sense of what I talked about on the 9th of October, when I said it's time to build, and when we think about what I talked about on October the 16th, practice over purpose, it's important that we realize and know that we are building not by repetition, but by intent, not by practice, but by purpose, but by purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is Jesus Christ. Purpose is Jesus Christ. The same word that goes out of God's mouth that cannot return to him void and does exactly what he intended for it to do is Jesus Christ. The manifested power, the manifested uh uh, anointing, the manifested connection, the manifested foundation is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. 
that I don't want to say any more than that. So I'm going to stop right here. Remember, we were talking about, we did a brief review of uh, building on purpose, and we talked about um, it's time to build. We talked about practice over purpose. And then today, um, we talked about Oh, excuse me. We talked about repetition versus intent. And within those, we talked about the affirmed foundation, the unbroken connection. And then we talked about building with the eternal foundation. Let me pray for you before we go. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for everything you're doing in this season. And I ask God that every word that was spoken uh, tonight, that you allow it to um come into our minds and you break it down and you help us to comprehend that you, God, uh, no word is going to return to you void. It's going to accomplish that which you intended for it to accomplish. And that word is Jesus Christ. It's that word that we stand on. It's that foundation that we stand on. It's that it's that uh, unbreakable connection that we speak to you through. And we thank you, God, for everything you're doing in this season. We thank you not only for um, new understanding and not only for being able to walk worthy of the vocation we are called, but we thank you, God, that you're securing our foundation. You're securing the way we build, not only by letting us know that it's time to build, but helping us to let go of what is being practiced and make sure that we build on purpose. And that purpose would be our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that what we build is to honor him. What we build is to honor you. What we do, it should be your word that has not returned void and not our word. God, I thank you for everything, every single thing that you're doing in this season. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.